I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. Hi, this is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Christian Roth of BD Diesel. I'm Braden Fleece, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. There's a special giveaway we want to let you guys know about. Mishimoto is giving away a free diesel radiator. They've partnered with us and Turn 14 Distribution for this contest. It runs until February 28th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. And to get entered, there's no purchase necessary. All you do is go to mishimoto.com forward slash radiator giveaway. Or you can go to the Diesel Podcast on Instagram. And in our bio, we've got a link right to the contest. So you just go on there, enter some information, and a winner will be chosen. You'll be notified via email, and you can pick any radiator that you want for your diesel truck. So it's a great way to get ready for spring and summer and get an upgraded radiator in your truck and make sure when you're towing, hauling, doing anything you're going to do this spring or summer, you've got those temperatures under control. On today's episode, we've got Luke from SNS Diesel Motorsport. And we have gotten a steady stream of questions from people over you know the last six months, over the last year even. And people have been requesting, they want to know more about CP4s, if they've had a failure on their truck and they're thinking about upgrading, or a CP3 conversion. So we're going to chat with Luke about SNS, learn more about the company, more about his background in diesel. He's got an incredibly deep and, and really cool background that you guys are going to like hearing about. And then he's going to answer some questions about injection pumps and what you may want to consider if you're having an issue on your truck or you're looking to get some more capability out of it. All right, let's get to the podcast with Luke and chatting about injection pumps. Luke, welcome to the Diesel Podcast. I'm excited to have you on and be able to toss some questions your way that we've got from our audience about CP4s and and newer diesel trucks and injection pumps. So we're, we're excited to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think this, this is the first time we've had SNS on the podcast, and it's always uh, you know really cool to to chat with a leader in the the diesel industry. And for any of our new listeners out there, I wanted to start by having you tell us a bit about the company's the company itself, its history, and what you do at SNS. Sure. Yeah. So we specialize in uh, common common rail, modern electronic controlled fuel systems. Um, so we're pretty focused on that. The, the, the fuel system is arguably the most important part of a, of a modern diesel engine. It really kind of makes it or breaks in and it really has allowed uh, the diesel engines to get as powerful and as refined as they are. So that's really our, our focus and our experience and past knowledge is all in modern common rail diesel fuel systems. So that's high pressure pumps, injectors. We also do electronic controls for some of the competition race cars, um, whether that be with Bosch Motorsport systems or Motec systems. We do quite a bit of that type of stuff. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's been a good time. Um, we've been very fortunate, very busy. we got a good dealer base, a lot of good customers, and um, has, has seen a lot of growth here in the last few years. From a, from a history perspective, um, we're a fairly new company overall, but pretty much all the background has been in the OE world. So um, originally the company started in 2012 timeframe, kind of early days. Uh, Andrew Stauffer um, and Greg Spoolstra both had experience with OE fuel systems. So um, Andrew, for example, has worked for Bosch for a lot of years um, doing new fuel system development, it, pretty much all around common rail, um, and for Bosch Motorsport as well, doing fuel systems and electronic controls, and then uh, decided to... Uh, to, to do their own thing, and then here um, a few years ago, I'd been working for Cummins for 
nine or ten years doing uh, new product development, engine development, and um, calibration work. I was in the combustion and performance and emissions group there doing new product development, engine platform stuff, and uh, Greg was looking to slow down and retire, and I had worked with Andrew at Cummins. Uh, he was the Bosch on-site engineer, and I was the performance engineer, and we'd been working on a similar engine platform and uh, kind of knew each other from there. So um, they started working on me to jump chip from Cummins and and uh, kind of jump in with Andrew and uh, see what we could do with it. So we, we've kind of got some unique OE-level background experience on product development and, uh, and a and a good understanding of how engine systems work and how the common rail systems work, as well as the electronic controls that really make it all happen. So, I imagine that having worked at the OE level like that and then going to the aftermarket side, there's a tremendous amount of knowledge and expertise that you guys have that you're able to bring to, you know, like today we're going to be talking about injection pumps, and be able to offer not just like a racing product, but also a product that somebody could use on a daily driver or a truck that, you know, is, is a hotshot truck or something like that. Just the level of expertise and knowledge probably helps a ton when looking at these issues that you know, may exist and people are looking for solutions to them, like with the CP4s. Absolutely. Yeah. It, we've been, I mean, we're very fortunate to have had that kind of experience and had those opportunities with those companies, um, which if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have nearly the experience or opportunity to know how things can go wrong and how things can go right, you know. Um, you, until you work for a company that's mass producing things like that, you'd never dream that things could fail in the kind of ways that they fail. Mm -hmm. With that experience and with that background, you get a better feel for what kind of things you need to plan for, how things uh how things work and, and how to design new products that don't have some of these failure modes or Achilles heel and things like that that we might have found the, the hard way at some of the OEs. CP4 is being a, an example of that. Yeah, it leads, it leads right into a question we had gotten from a listener, and he said, hey, can you get SNS on the podcast? and ask them about CP4 failures and what I can do to avoid one. I know it's a really big topic and there's a lot of angles to it, but for the guys out there that have LMLs or L5Ps or 6.7 Power Strokes or even you know, some of the newer 6.7 Cummins, is what is the main issue and what do you guys offer in a way to be able to address, say, a premature failure or a catastrophic failure? Sure. Yeah, the, the, the base design of, so the CP3 pump was in production you know, 01 to current now, basically, for certain platforms. CP4s went into production for the LML Duramax platform in 2011 <clears throat> and for the 6.7 Ford Power Stroke platform in 2011 as well. Um, probably the best bet, honestly, we've done quite a – because it is such a hot topic, um, there's a lot of those out there. I mean, there's, there's millions of CP4 pumps in the world now. Um, and there's a lot of guys that rely on their trucks every day who have these 2011 to 16 LML Duramaxes or 2011 to current Power Strokes or 2019 and 2020 Rams that rely on their trucks every day that are using these pumps. Um, because there's been so much, so much interest in that and also fairly high failure rates, 
uh, we've focused some of our tech videos on that to try to help explain that because it's easier to see than it is to hear, you know, as, as far as some of that goes. So guys that are interested in that or, or curious about it, I, I'd encourage you to go to our YouTube or Facebook pages, and we've got some videos on how CB4s work, how they fail, and why they fail, as well as comparison CP3 to CB4, that kind of thing, and, and in conjunction with how some of our products work. But in a, in a nutshell, the bottom end base design is significantly different in the CP4 than previous generation. And there's a, uh, the CP4 uses a really aggressive two-lobe cam with um, pumping elements that, uh, that use a roll on the bottom. And uh, the, the trouble is in some of those cases where these are failing, the roller skids, either seizes and skids or just skids in general on the cam and then creates a, an aggressive metal-to-metal -metal contact that starts to generate a lot of heat and then generate debris and then start to fail catastrophically. The other thing that can happen is they'll, they'll actually, the roller will turn 90 degrees on the cam. And at that point, when the roller turns 90 degrees, there's no saving it at that point. The roller just doesn't roll anymore because it's 90 degrees from where it's supposed to be. So um, there's a decent amount of them that fail that way. And there's, like I say, that one's a tough one because there's no saving it at that point. Um, and and the, the real Achilles heel of a CP4, if just a pump fails, oh, pump fails. You know, that, that sucks, but that happens sometimes, right? If a component fails, okay, re replace that component. The real damaging part of the CP4 design is it feeds, the bottom end of the pump feeds to the high-pressure circuit. So when the pump fails, it generates a lot of metal debris. And instead of it just containing its own metal debris and failing, it actually contaminates the whole rest of the system. And the whole rest of the system is very sensitive to metal debris. So it's really a lose-lose in that case. Not only did you lose a fairly expensive high-pressure pump, but now you wiped out a real expensive set of injectors and rails, and you got metal debris in the tank and on all your lines, and it's a disaster. Now, as far as the pump itself, is there... Is there a way to, in a lot of the, the questions that uh, we got from Instagram were, hey, where's the, is there a CP3 conversion kit for my truck? Or is, is that the option? Is, is that the best solution is to just get rid of the pump entirely? Or are there ways that a CP4 can be built or upgraded where you can eliminate much of the risk with what you just described with failures? Yeah, the the preferred solution is a CP3 conversion because that's a tried and true base design that really is just a, a bulletproof. Um, so wherever possible, our our preferred approach and where we have developed products is around just converting it to a pump that you've got confidence in that's a lot more reliable and robust. Um, you know, there are some advantages to the CP4, I'll say. You know, it's not, it's not all bad. Technically, the, the high-pressure side of it is capable of high pressure, and it's much more modular. It's lighter. I'm sure it's easier and much cheaper to manufacture. You know, there's all those other factors, but from a reliability perspective, it just doesn't have it. Um, so, so maybe for the OEs, they made the decision based on millions of trucks of volume, you know, when it came to a weight or a packaging or a cost perspective. But in the aftermarket, when guys really care and uh, can afford to spend a little more money on their truck, especially if it's something they really rely on, then that's where the CP3 conversions really come in. 
So we'll do, say for the LML platform, a really popular product of ours is a CP3 conversion for the LML platform. Um, especially, actually one of the most popular ones is a straight drop-in, no tuning required. Um, like the truck doesn't know any different, nothing really even knows any different. You literally just replace the CP4 with a much better CP3 and we've built the pump to match the flow curves of the CP4 so you don't even have to do any tuning. And it's even got a, a ninth injector dosing line uh, to interact or to interface with the emission system. So it's a, it's a carb compliant, um, you know, emissions tested solution that just really gets a guy to a, a much more reliable solution. But it really That's depends a... on the platform on whether or not yeah. you can do that. The CP, I know like we, we get a lot of guys asking about the 6.7 Ford platform. And unfortunately, just because of the design of the block, of the engine block itself, a CP3 won't fit in the valley there. And we've done a, we've, we've tested with a lot of different scenarios of different base pumps and different modifications and different things, and it's just space constrained there, unfortunately. That was one of the, that was one of the questions we got was about six, seven power strokes and a CP3 conversion. Yep. <laughs> yep. So we've got some stuff in the works. Um, historically, we've, uh, We've, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because uh, Andrew's always kind of been a Duramax guy and I've always kind of been a Cummins guy. We've kind of always focused on the, the Duramax and Cummins uh, platforms, but there's a huge market with the with the Ford um, Ford guys. I mean, I drive a Ford currently, and, and that's a development truck for us. And so we've got a lot of good stuff coming for the Ford guys. We've kind of, we've kind of uh, left them lacking the last few years, I'll say, in some cases, um, but we've got that's a key focus area for us. So um, I can't say too much about some of the, the neat stuff we've got in the works because uh, it's a little early and don't want to let too much out, but we've certainly got a lot of good products coming for the Ford and specifically related around fuel pump, uh, fuel pump development. So should be exciting stuff. You'd mentioned as far as carb compliance or testing. I wanted to ask you about that because a lot of people are interested in products for newer trucks that they can run to either address, you know, an issue like a CP4 and its failures or, or other factors in it, but they want to make sure that, you know, if they live in California or they drive through it or they drive to another state or, or whatever it may be, that it's something they can have confidence in. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about the, the testing process and the products you have. And the, it seems like a focus as well that you guys have had with getting a 50 state tested product out there for truck owners. Yep. Yeah, there's, I guess I'd say we were probably kind of one of the front runners earlier on with getting some of those products. You know, it used to be there wasn't nearly as much focus on a lot of that, right? Just because the enforcement, the, the environment around some of the enforcement on aftermarket products wasn't nearly where it is now. Um, but we were kind of one of the earlier adopters of getting some of that done, uh, you know, getting, working with CARB, um, the California Air Resource Board and and SEMA and getting emissions testing done and getting submittals where you say, hey, here's the product we're developing, here's the advantages to it, here's how it's not going to be detrimental to um, the function of the rest of the systems in the vehicle and and that kind of thing. It's 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 more work, it's more cost, um, and it's more difficult to develop products that 
are not detrimental, but um, it's the right thing to do, and, and it's the safer thing to do in the long-term game. So we do a little bit of everything. We do a lot of racing stuff. We've got, you know, diesel drag racing has certainly become more popular. We're doing a lot of the ultra-high performance stuff like that, but really the a lot of the volume and a lot of what the everyday customers need is just better products that they can use in their everyday trucks that are safe and legal to use. So that's where, you know, we're, we've got a lot of development going different angles, but we're certainly putting more focus on um, on getting more of these products out that solve everyday solutions, everyday problems. You know, not everybody's not everybody's wanting a thousand horsepower, two thousand horsepower, or whatever um, vehicle. Uh, the, the vast majority of people just want to have a a, a nice functional but fun at the same time and reliable vehicle. I remember seeing when you guys had released the, the 50 state products, it was at least when I saw it, it was just, it was like a time where I think that a diesel enthusiast would look at the newer trucks in the aftermarket and they would say, well, we're just stuck with what the OEMs gave us. And there's really, there's no solution out there. There's no option. I'm just going to have, you know, a hundred thousand mile truck now instead of a three or 400,000 mile truck like I used to have. But when you guys started to release these products, it was really refreshing and inspiring to see, Hey, we can, we can keep this truck in its emissions configuration, but have a much better product. So you don't have to worry about metal in your injector lines and injectors and fuel tank and everything else. And I think it, it sort of spurred on the whole industry in a way to say, okay, well, what can we do with turbos? What can we do with this? What can we do with all these other components to be able to still meet that emissions requirement, give, but give people what they wanted for either performance or a little bit more power or just efficiency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's certainly, it, it's, the game is changing. It has changed and it certainly is changing and it, it's getting more difficult, but uh, we kind of like that challenge and it kind of plays into our hand a little better. Uh, in general, just because we used to, that's kind of our background, is, is doing it the way, essentially what is the trend of where things are going is they're, they're starting to apply some of the regulations and some of the rules to the aftermarket that have applied to the OEs for years. So, you know, there is a ton of regulation around the OEs um, and, you know, all kinds of documentation and, and emissions compliance and all that kind of stuff. And basically where some of that stuff is going is applying similar similar regulations or similar thoughts to some of the aftermarket products, which hasn't really historically been the case. Um, so it certainly is uh, changing the, the market, but, and, you know, those who can adapt will. And so that kind of plays into our hand a little better anyways, because we know what it takes from the OE side, because they, they've had to deal with all that for a long time. Um, and then we can uh, apply that to the aftermarket side and give, give the customers good products in the aftermarket that, uh, that are maybe a little more challenging than it used to be in the old days, you know, but uh, still really good products that people are happy with and need for their, for their street trucks. Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. It's, it's uh, something that, you know, in the past, I, I would agree, it wasn't historically part of what the aftermarket was. It was, okay, here's a platform, what we're given. We know it needs air and fuel and timing and other things. And, you know, you just, you're on your way. 
but you know, these newer trucks make more horsepower, more torque than they've ever made. Definitely more than second gen 12 valves or early common rails made. And so just from the outside looking in at what the big three are making, it's like, okay, I've got more power, more torque, better transmissions, more technology. And it's being done under these constraints of federal emission standards. And so to be able to see that knowledge and history and experience now be applied to the aftermarket, it's it raises the bar to a level that that I know inspires a lot of people out there. Uh, as far as being enthusiasts, keeping their trucks for a while, not being hesitant to get, you know, this new truck or this particular gear range truck and to be able to use it how they want. So I, I know the whole industry is really excited about that. Yeah, and things have, things have come a long ways. Unfortunately, some of the earlier after-treatment systems, you know, the, everybody was learning, right? The, the suppliers were learning, the engine manufacturers were learning, the vehicle manufacturers were learning, and so... There, there historically had been some issues with some of the D, um, the DPF and SCR systems and all that kind of stuff and EGR and and all that. But a lot of that's come a long ways. Everybody's learning constantly and getting better. And uh, and it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. I remember even when I was at Cummins, you know, a lot of times you'd want to because it's so difficult, you'd want to complain about some of the regulations and that kind of stuff. Um, because there's so many hoops to jump through and everything's so challenging. You got to run all these different tests and you got to, everything's got to be just absolutely perfect. But if you actually take a step back and look at the big picture, the the only reason I had a job Cummins was because of emissions regulations. And because that stuff was difficult, they were implying, they were employing all kinds of engineers to, to be able to develop new products. And if it wasn't for some of the emission standards, we wouldn't have all the cool stuff we have right now. So yeah, there's a lot of regulation. In some cases, there's a lot of overreach. And there's a lot of some of that kind of stuff going on. But if it wasn't if it wasn't for emissions regs changing every few years, we would never develop all these cool new technologies. And so we have higher pressure capable fuel systems now than we've ever had before that can do all kinds of cool stuff. But there was no need for that if it wasn't for needing to make the trucks more efficient and needing to make them lower particulate output and needing to make them, you know, more capable in a lot of these ways. So if you look at engine development over time, it really trends with regulations over time. You know, we'd still have the same old loud, uh, smoky, underpowered (laughs) mechanical (laughs) injected engines um, if it wasn't for a lot of the standards changing. So it's, it's obviously there's, it, there's pros and cons both ways, but uh, forcing some of that development isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sure, it it, it uh, can be problematic when it when it affects companies negatively and things like that. But it sure it sure has driven a lot of engine development in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, it seems it seems really quick, and and I think combining the experience that. Uh, that you had just mentioned at that OEM level with the aftermarket definitely is going to create an exciting atmosphere for products. And, you know, before, before we had done the podcast said, Hey, I'm going to post up on Instagram and I'm going to ask our listeners, what should we ask S and S? And so I've got a handful of questions. Some of them you've touched on a little bit, but these are direct from our listeners. So I'm just going to read them off to you. But, uh, I wanted to get your opinion on some of the things that, uh, that our listeners are, are wanting to know. And uh, let's start with this this first one here. Is uh, 
This listener asks, what kind of info do they have on 17 to 19 L5P emissions CP3 conversions? Sure. We've, um, the L5P platform went to a different fuel system, you know, in 2017, which is actually Denso based versus Bosch uses a fuel pump called an HP4 that um, is a is a different design. It's not a bad pump, but it's not uh, it doesn't perform as well as a CP3, and it's not as robust as a CP3. But we have developed CP3 conversions for the L5P platform, um, and we're actually in the process of developing more right now. Um, and we've got a uh, we've actually got a 2020 L5P Duramax engine here right now uh, from our uh, our friends at Sterling Diesel in Texas um, had one out of a truck, and uh, there were some changes in the later generation L5Ps versus earlier's relative to how the a, a pump can fit and mount and things like that. So we're putting some final touches on some of the L5P CP3s, um, but guys will be hearing more here in the near future relative to that platform. We're going to be doing offering more of those options as well as um, looking into, it's a completely different animal with that fuel pump, but we're also pursuing doing similar as to what we've done for other platforms where you get a, a no tuning required option uh, where it's basically a straight drop in and you just get a better pump and you're on your way. Is that a lot of requests that you have from dealers and customers is to have a no tuning option with these conversions? It's, it's something that is, uh, it's not necessarily surprising, but it had been, we were the only one, we're, we're the only company that was really doing that um, just because of the ability to, modify the pumps in such a way to make them a drop-in and not have to require tuning. Um, but with more and more challenges all the time with tuning and with some guys not actually wanting to have a tuned truck, they just want a more reliable truck, um, it, it's certainly a really popular option because, you know, say the no tuning required option is a few hundred bucks more, well, they're going to spend a few hundred bucks on tuning most likely to be able to, you know, properly run the other version. And if they weren't planning on making any other changes that they needed for tuning, then it just makes sense to do a hardware-only change and not have to do a hardware and calibration change. So it's it's become more and more popular, especially with guys that don't want to have to go through a few revisions of tuning and data logs and stuff like that. They just want to throw, you know, say somebody, some, somebody's got an LML and they had a CP4 fail, and they don't want that to happen again. They just put a CP3 in it, but and they want to be in and out, you know, a, a, a truck shop's got that truck scheduled for however many hours that day, and they don't want to have to mess with uh, with tuning it or having to do data logs. They can literally just put hardware on, then that's where the no tuning required options of ours, whether it be for an LML CP3 or a 2019-2020 RAM CP3, that's where those are, are a great solution. That actually perfectly leads into the next question we got, and that was about info on 6.7 Cummins CP3 conversions and what you guys have for them. Yep, so we developed a, well, the 2019 Ram, the 2019 6.7 Cummins, um, which actually that engine is built uh, in a plant just not far the road from where we're at. Um, here we're kind of here in, in Cummins country, but the, the 2019 Ram engine was a pretty significant redesign, CGI block, hydraulic lifters, went with a different fuel system. There's a lot of different changes to handle the, you know, there again, we go to engines are constantly developing and the stupid things, a thousand foot pounds of torque from the factory now, you know, something that would have been unheard of. Um, but 
they went with a CP4-based high-pressure pump. And uh, as soon as we saw that was happening, I actually bought a, a engine out of a brand new 750-mile engine out of a out of a wreck truck. I don't know a year and a half or so ago was probably one of the first ones around to do some development with. And so we started off right away knowing we wanted to do a CP3 conversion for it. So it's a little more challenging in that case just because of some specifics around that. That pump is actually driven uh, one and a half to one, so the pump is 50% faster PM than what the engine is. Um, so with with that being the case, we actually do our CP3 build different than just a normal CP3. We actually have some features and some hardware that perform better at high speed and are more reliable at high speed. So, because when that pump's got 100,000 miles, or when that engine has 100,000 miles on it, that pump's got the equivalent of 150,000 miles on it worth of revolution. So that's unique to the 19 and 20 Ram. Well, it's probably also challenging as well with, I guess, I'm not sure on what particular model year, but their newest trucks going back to a CP3 injection pump as well. So it seems like it's going to be a limited year range of that particular pump in a 6.7 Cummins. Yep, yep, yeah. The, so they launched it for the 19 model year and 20 model year, and I don't know exactly where the cutoff was, but shortly after launch, I think they realized that they were having failures and warranties that they shouldn't have and uh, immediately were kind of pivoting and, and backtracking to go back to a CP3 pump. So I'm actually, but from uh, Andrew and I would never guessed that it would happen as quick as it did. Both of us working at Cummins and Bosch, it takes forever to do about anything um, just because of big company stuff, but they actually pivoted pretty quick and got back to a, a CP3 pump for 2021 model years. So it's a, it cut into the, uh, obviously the available vehicles from our perspective, but, uh, you know, they, they did the right thing in, in going back to a more reliable pump. But we've actually, we end up doing a decent amount of work for some of the OEs as well. So we've been doing actually some contract work, helping some OEs with failure analysis and testing and things like that on a variety of fuel pumps. Our next question, this is this is interesting. Um, this listener wanted to know if you guys have any products in the pipeline for the 2.8 and 3.0 Duramax. We've done some 2.8 and 3.0 stuff already as far as um, injectors and things go. In general, we can, we can work with about any Conrail injector, whether that be small stuff like the 2.8 up to all the way up to 60 liter V16 type of things. Um, so we've already, we've got, we can, we don't necessarily have anything on the price list um, for those platforms. Um, I'd expect us to have some more products for those in the future. Um, and like I say, we, we, we can and have done some injectors for customers, but it's not something we have on the shelf um, just because it's a newer platforms and lower, lower production volumes. We kind of have to focus some of our development um, where it makes sense first, but we're growing the team and hiring more people and going to be able to do some more development. So I'd expect to see some growth in more of those other engine platforms. This next question, we, we head back to the, the six, seven coming stuff is, uh, this guy had asked, what's the deal with the new pressure relief valve on the 19 plus Ram? <laughs> okay. So, uh, like I mentioned, some of these newer platforms a lot because of the emission standards, 
power requirements and, and all kinds of customer requirements for noise and drivability and stuff, all these fuel systems are going towards higher pressure um, capable injectors and, and fuel systems. So they let the relief valves on these newer platforms, um, and the 19 RAM was the first one for the Cummins, but actually it's been that way since 2011 for Duramax and Ford um, have what is called a DRV, which is an electronic relief valve on the rail. So it looks really odd if you're used to seeing the old mechanical style relief valve that was basically just literally a, a pop-off relief valve. The electronic relief valve allows them to use it, not only just use the pump to control rail pressure, but now you've got control of the in valve and the out valve to the system, basically. So they're able to control the pump of the flow in, and they're able to control the DRV for some excess flow out. So it can uh, trim overshoots and work as a traditional relief valve but also it can help to control pressure more effectively. In a lot of cases, at idle especially, because these trucks are all so quiet now, they'll actually have the pump be um, far more open and further more flow than what they really need, and then they'll use the electronic relief valve to bleed off the extra. And that's because the high-pressure pumps are often pretty loud when they're mostly closed, uh, just a function of how the pump operates. Um, so to control noise, they'll actually put more load on the pump and then bleed it off with that electronic relief valve at idle. But it does help to, uh, really, the injectors, the generation injectors um, don't have much leakage in them at all. Used to be you'd have quite a bit of leakage back to the tank, um, but the new injectors are so much better and higher pressure capability and less leakage that um, in some cases they actually trap pressure um, for a long time, too. You can shut the truck off, and you'll still have a lot of pressure in the system where it used to have leaked off. Well, now that electronic relief valve dumps the pressure in the system when you shut it off, so it's more capable, and you got more flexibility, but it's also kind of a safety feature. Is it really, probably oversimplifying it, but is it really built around those emission regulations and how precise the OEMs are needing to be with rail pressure in particular matter that things like an electronic relief valve come into play? Um, the, the emissions regulations and some of the power requirements and things like that have really driven every generation has needed to be higher and higher pressure, in, like rail pressure, injection pressure capable. Um, and so, like say, for example, the LB7 and the 5.9 were a 1600 bar system. And then next generation was 1,800 bar. And then, like, LML was 2,000 bar. And so every generation, now we're at, like, 2,500 bar capable systems. And so every generation gets higher and higher pressure capable. And usually that's because uh, either you need to be able to inject more fuel in a shorter window, or in a lot of cases that higher pressure capability helps to reduce particulate matter, helps to reduce smoke, usually higher, higher rail pressure um, also helps with efficiency. So there's always kind of a trend of NOx output versus particulate and versus fuel economy, but uh, the after-treatment systems actually help clean up a lot of that. So you don't, it doesn't have to all be perfect in the cylinder anymore. You can actually let it be higher NOx um, in the engine, which is more efficient, and then clean it up with the SCR downstream. So the higher pressure systems um, really help to enable better precision, like you mentioned, actually. A lot of these cases, these things are 
multiple injection events per cycle. So it could have multiple pilot, small pilot injections, one main and post injection and all that kind of stuff. So they've got all kinds of levers now that we never used to have, you know, when you had a single injection mechanical type of thing, it's, it's, it's noisy. It's not as efficient. Um, it's, uh, it's got higher emissions output, all that kind of stuff. But now the systems are so advanced that it'll do whatever you want it to do. This last question, I, I had to pick this one because I think as a diesel enthusiast, we all love the racetrack and things going fast. But, uh, this uh, this listener had asked, 14 millimeter stroker CP3 horsepower limit. Now, you didn't specify if it was for a Duramax or, or a Cummins, but if you could touch a little bit, say, on both, or what kind of application a 14 millimeter stroker would be recommended for? Yep. The 14 is a popular, a popular one, especially with a lot of the race guys and sled pull guys and stuff like that. Um, it's a it's kind of a tricky question because it's a full system, of course, um, and the pump can deliver... Uh, you know, however much, a certain amount of flow, and then it's really up to the engine to make the most amount of power with that kind of flow. So, um, you know, we see a significant amount of power out of single pump applications, and we've done, you know, dyno testing on, um, actually we were doing some Duramax testing with Wagler Street Engine Platform, just stepping up injector and pump sizes and turbos and going up and up and up. Um, But it really depends on the full system as boring as it sounds it's literally a fuel economy a fuel efficiency thing at that point um you know the the oes measure fuel economy in pounds of fuel per horsepower hour and that's basically what it comes down to the pump's going to deliver a certain amount of fuel flow but depending on whether you got a duramax or a cummins and what your tuning is and what turbo you've got and all that kind of stuff is going to affect how much horsepower you make with X amount of um, uh, fuel. I guess a perfect example actually is sled pulling versus drag racing. Drag racing, we can make far more horsepower um, with a single pump or a pair or triples of certain pumps than you can with on sled pulling, typically because the sled pulling classes are air limited classes. So say it's a three, that's a three O charger. So that means the the inducer on the compressor is the three inch. Well, the thing's sucking through a straw, basically. So it takes far more fuel to make the power because you don't have as much oxygen and, and uh, they're typically fairly inefficient. But a drag race vehicle with a big turbo and lots of nitrous um, has got tons of oxygen on tap and they're really efficient. So you can make, well, for example, like um, a lot of these drag cars are 2,500 horsepower, 2,600 horsepower, and two 12s is all they need, and they still have extra on tap. But two 12s would barely make half that in a pulling truck. (laughs) So it really depends on the whole system. The whole key is make the whole system as efficient as possible. So really, if somebody has questions about that, it's probably best that they call you guys and chat about their application and what they got going on because there's so many variables in it. There are certainly a lot of variables, and I'm hesitant to throw a number at it because you see that stuff on the online a lot where they say, oh, I made X amount of horsepower with a single this, that, or the other. And people tend to, because uh, you always want to simplify things because it's too hard to actually consider all the factors, people tend to latch onto a number and say an S&S pump is worth X amount of horsepower in a you know, whoever's pump is worth Y amount of horsepower. And, well, 
you really just need to look at the data sheets on the pumps and that'll tell you how much pump flow there is and then it's up to you to make horsepower with the pump flow that we give you. So that's why we, we send data sheets with every pump that we build, um, all the tuning required stuff anyways, but um, any of our competition pumps, there's data sheets in there that show exactly what their fuel flow is and um, you know, then it's up to them to make the power with the fuel delivered. Well, this was a, this was a really informative podcast. There's a lot, there's a lot, a lot of just new things that <clears throat> are happening in the aftermarket and advancements that, you know, even like doing podcasts every week, it's tough to stay on top of everything that's happening. And so when we got a lot of these questions, I'm like, uh, I, I need to learn more about this pressure relief system on the 19 plus Cummins or, you know, what is coming out? Why can't you put a CP3 on a six, seven power stroke and, and these other things. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with us, to answer these, and then also give us some insights into really what goes into development and what you guys are doing at SNS to be able to, I think, merge the, the precision and the expertise and the knowledge of working, you know, at you know, these, at this OEM level and be able to take those processes and apply them to the aftermarket, which is something that's so important. I think it's going to be crucial to the future of, of diesel, not just maintenance and repair, but performance is to be able to have those advancements within a framework that's given, which, you know, Cummins and, and Ford and, and Duramax and GM, they, they've been doing that for almost two decades now, but the aftermarket wasn't historically like that. So it's really exciting to be able to see that merge into the aftermarket now. Yeah, the, things are certainly changing, and it is um, it is becoming more more difficult, more challenging. Like I mentioned, I think that really kind of it plays to our strengths well in that, uh, you know, we can adapt and we can develop the more difficult products and, and do the testing and things that we need to do in validation. But we're usually just looking for where there's needs in the market for new products or we know that there's failures and we want to remedy those failures for customers or we know that there's, you know, potential for failure in certain ways and, and how can we make that better or how can we improve our existing products. Um, one example of that is the, the most popular product for the 6.7 Ford platform is our, our CP4 bypass kit, <clears throat> which um, if the pump, it doesn't, it basically isolates the pump essentially. So if the pump fails, it can it doesn't allow it to contaminate the injectors and uh, and cause other catastrophic damage to the system. Uh, it really just it isolates it and uh, reduces the amount of damage that it causes. So that's a really popular one. And and knowing, I mean, we've had that in production for a few years, and knowing that we're always trying to continually improve things here for the last I don't know year years so really we've been working on a gen 2 version of that and um and so we're excited about it. we're going to be releasing that here real soon um, but we've had, had that in the works for a long time just kind of in the background continually improve on it and it's going to be a a better system easier to install better protection it's got a return side filter to catch all the debris before it goes to the tank so a guy doesn't have to drop the tank and clean all lines and everything like that so we're just always kind of looking for ways to do things better, uh, needs in the market that exist. And, and honestly, we're—I mean—we're pretty—we're a small company. We're—we're we're lean and mean, and and we're—we're uh, we're growing in, in lots of ways. Um, but actually, we get a lot of a lot of the development kind of comes from our customers. Um, so they're 
you know, we're we're busy with our current production stuff and we're doing new development, but there's a lot of cases where people are coming to us and saying, hey, can you do this or that? And, and you know, or there's a need for this. Um, can you guys develop something for that market? Uh, and that, that certainly, you know, helps. You got to, we always have a lot of voices trying to pull us different ways. And sometimes it's the niche markets that are the, the loudest, but they don't actually pencil out. <laughs> you know, there might, there's not many yeah. of them out there for that market, but we've been doing a lot of stuff. Um, for overseas customers as well. For some reason, a lot of, uh, I don't know exactly how they find us, but uh, a lot of guys in Australia, a lot of guys in Europe, a lot of guys different parts of the world uh, have been sending stuff our way. So it's been good, and, and actually we do a decent amount of um, OE testing too since we're, we've got a lot of the equipment capability and, uh, and technicians and knowledge and stuff. Um, a lot of times... Some of these big companies, you know, the Cummins and GMs and, and Packars and some of these big companies, they actually come to us to help them with uh, testing and validation and, uh, and troubleshooting and teardowns and stuff like that because it's we can do things a lot quicker and, and usually more cost-effective than sending stuff to Europe or Japan or whatever else. And it's, it's really exciting to, to hear that and, and see, you know, like, d- diesel just the the future's bright with it it's just there's that learning curve and, and sometimes we don't want to wait for stuff but as you'd mentioned earlier in the podcast like you think back to like 2008 or 9 or 10 and and just how the trucks performed or what issues they had versus 2020 or 2021 it's an entirely different ball game with just reliability and efficiency and power and torque and so I, I know that uh, we're all looking forward to seeing what you guys crank out this year and, and I know you guys are busy and I appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with us, answer these questions, give us some insights. And, and uh, like I said, we look forward to seeing what you guys bring to the diesel aftermarket. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for uh, doing your part to keep the industry informed and, and uh, pushing it. Don't forget diesel fans, make sure and head on over to mishimoto.com forward slash radiator giveaway, or search the diesel podcast on Instagram. And in our bio, we've got a link to get entered for the free giveaway. So you just go, go on that uh, the website, fill out a short, uh, just some short information and the contest runs until february 28th at 11:59 p.m eastern and a winner will be chosen after that you'll be notified via email and you can pick the radiator that you'd like for your diesel truck until next time keep the shiny side up